Elevate your life with this episode of Lifestyle and Success with Dr. S. You are listening to Lifestyle and Success with Dr. S, a talk show to help you rise in business success while designing a life that you don't need a vacation from. To subscribe to the show and never miss a beat, head to Lifestyle and Success with DRS.com. Today's episode is coming up next. So today I'm super excited to have Kendra Adachi joining us. Kendra is the New York Times best-selling author of The Lazy Genius Way and the upcoming The Lazy Genius Kitchen releasing in March 2022. By the way, I downloaded her cookie recipe. Delicious. Um, so her podcast, The Lazy Genius Podcast, has over 13 million downloads and covers everything from cooking chicken to making friends. She's a systems expert. She's from North Carolina. She lives there with her husband and three kids. And she's going to talk to us today about managing our time the lazy way, which is like exactly what I need to hear as we're all breaking through this pandemic and starting to get back into a routine. So Kendra, welcome to the show. I can't wait to hear about your business. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having me. I also, what a fun correction I get to make. Guess when my book is coming out? It's coming out in May. Do you know why? Because my books were on a boat that was in a storm and they all fell to the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> oh my God. Now that's the story. What? I, I know it's wild. So like we could just jump right into having to pivot in business because <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, the release yeah. date for the lazy genius kitchen was March 22nd and it's been bumped to May 3rd. And we're, we're like hustling to even make that happen, but it is the situation right now. And it's coming, but it's coming though. It's coming. It's coming. It's totally coming. I'm so excited. It is coming. And you have a story to share with other people when you're like, when you become an author, let me tell you what could happen. <laughs> it is definitely not a contingency that we planned for. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, how'd you get started with this work, Kendra? Give us your background. So I've always loved being a teacher. I went to school to actually be a high school English teacher. I had a scholarship and everything. It was like, this is what I'm going to do. And I realized I didn't love students. <laughs> like <I didn't>. <laughs> that <laughs> might be a problem. Like if you're going to be a high school English teacher, you should probably like high schoolers. And I realized I didn't. So I thought I maybe should, I should pivot this plan a little bit. So I have always been in some form of gathering, writing, or teaching. There's all, everything I've ever done has incorporated one of those three things. But for this particular business, this is my third online business that I've created. And every every one that I've done and every job that I've had before this has really led up to this whole thing. I didn't even realize that was the case until it was a few months ago. I did a, a podcast episode about kind of the origin story of this business. And when I was looking back, even to when I was in eighth grade, there were things that I was doing that were informing and impacting what I'm doing today. So it's kind of a, a like a longer story, but this is my third internet business. I started out my first one. I was a cooking teacher and a food writer and that was super fun. And then I had a kid and I needed to sort of shift gears a little bit in terms of what the time was requiring of me. And I started a blog called the sugar box and I would, I would write about 
the intersection of celebrities and desserts. So I would make, mm. I would make cookies that were inspired by like Benedict Cumberbatch or called Cumber cookies. <laughs> like I would just, it was absurd. It was just like a fun time, but, yeah. um, but I wanted to add some lightness and life to to the internet. And not that there isn't any, there's a lot of lightness in life in the internet, but I was just noticing in my work as a cooking teacher, just in my, in my work in general, that women especially were consistently so very tired and mm. they were tired from, I think, trying it too many things. And so that's why I started the business before this one is I thought, I just want to like create a space that's super fun. There, there's no, <laughs> there's no pretense. There's no expectations. Mm. We're literally yeah. talking about Jude Law and cupcakes. Well, then, yeah. then I realized, I think I have some stuff to say about this. I think I have some life experience. I think I have some skills. I think I have this desire to speak into this specific thing of we're trying really hard at everything, which means we're actually not really doing anything. And so that is where the creation of the Lazy Genius Collective came from is I want to help people be a genius about the things that matter and lazy about the things that don't. And everybody has a different definition of that. What matters to you is not necessarily going to matter to me. So it's really important for us to name what matters to us. And then we can find systems to support that or places that we can just let things go. Oh, I love that. I, did you ever imagine that you'd be doing this today? Like what was your dream job when you were thinking about what you wanted and who you wanted to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a sports broadcaster for years. <laughs> like okay. years. That's what I wanted to do because I, I mean, I loved sports, but I think I just love simplifying complicated things for people. And uh, like, I even love now teaching people who say, I just don't understand football. Like, hold please. I will teach you about football. I promise I can make this easy. I can make this bite size. I can. And that's what I do in a lot of ways is try, is try to create a, a simpler version of something that really would impact someone's life if they, if they wanted to. I just love being a teacher. And I, I saw sports broadcasting as a bit of an intersection of my love for sports and teaching. I also enjoy being on camera. I think I always have, which is a little bit strange because I'm also like shy adjacent. I'm not shy, but I, I don't like a spotlight, but I like a camera. It's weird. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so anyway, that's what I wanted to be. I mean, I won, I won a sports writing contest when I was in eighth grade, like a count, like a countywide, like our newspaper, like our city newspaper. I've just loved sports and sports writing for a long time. But then I realized I wasn't like blonde. And I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want to take the time to go down the path that women, especially in sports broadcasting at the time I wanted to do it, had to go down in order to get the job I wanted. You know, I yeah. just saw, I was like, this is going to take me literally forever. And is that yeah. really what I want? I don't think it is. I think I can accomplish this feeling in a different business. And so that's when I pivoted in my head. And here you are. You're and kind here of we are. still in the same space, you know, I mean, probably more famous than you would have been before. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. everything happens for a reason, it darling. Does. It does. So, I mean, so when you thought about doing this business, you mentioned this is your third internet business. And I love hearing that because I'm sure there are so many people who are on their like fifth and sixth and seventh and eighth idea. And they're like, is this ever going to hit for me? Like, my God, why is this not working? And so I'm wondering when you, and, and of course, for everyone listening, we are totally totally going to go into Kendra's expertise on how to manage your time and productivity and all the things. But for the people who are listening for the business aspect, I'm wondering like what hurdles you specifically had to 
experience? What hurdles did you experience as you were thinking through like how to take this passion of yours, since this is a passion-based business, how to take this passion and turn it into something that actually creates revenue and can support you in your career? So many, (laughs) so many, (laughs) so many different hurdles. But I do, I think that for me, my biggest hurdle is always me. It's always my mentality about things. Part of that to get very personal is I have a pretty traumatic childhood and there is some, uh, there are a lot of things that I have been working out in therapy for a long time that have impacted how I see myself in the world. You know, they, they have made me a lot smaller. They have made me afraid to be myself in a room. They've made me afraid of, uh, ambition and accomplishments and pursuit. And, and while I am not as afraid of those things anymore, and they are undergirded by the foundation of wanting to care for people and wanting to make the world better, you know, like I, I don't think there's anything wrong with being ambitious for ambition's sake. I think it's likely to leave you a little bit more hollow than if there is something that is a deeper purpose behind that ambition. Uh, But it's not for me to tell you what your purpose should be or that you shouldn't be ambitious just because you want to, like everybody gets to, everybody gets to choose. But for me, I have always struggled with why me that's, that's kind of been my thing forever. And I, I really strive. I don't as much, I don't anymore, but again, because of therapy, but I've spent so many years striving to be valuable in ways that other people deemed as valuable, as opposed to what was coming sort of from my, from my core and my own intuition and my own spirit to say, no, this is, this is who you are in this world. And this is what you are here to share and to say, and to hold space for and to help people with. And so I think that anybody can learn the technical ins and outs of running a business. You know, you can take courses, you can listen to episodes and read books and hire professionals and you can build a business from Mm -hmm. a numbers and logistics standpoint. But for me, my biggest hurdle has always been, is it okay for me to do this? Like, is it okay? For example, when I started my podcast, however many years ago, four or five years ago, I started with guests. Now I did that. There's obviously I'm a guest on your show. I love I love shows that have a host and someone that they talk to. I think that those storytelling option uh, opportunities are incredibly valuable. I chose that because I was afraid to just be myself on the mic and that I was afraid that I would not have enough to say on my own. And it took me 10 episodes with other people where I was like, this isn't right. This isn't, I'm really afraid of what is right, but I know that this is not right. And so that is, I've always been consistently my, my biggest hurdle. But what it does is it allows me, it gives me more opportunities to be kind to myself in that, to not like beat myself up for you need to get it together. Stop being, stop having imposter syndrome. So, you know, it's more like I have this really tender relationship with myself in this business, knowing that I want to be authentic. I want to be myself. I want to be, I want to be helpful. I want to run a successful business. I want all of these things. And those things can all coexist inside of me. And yeah. I can hold on to that and be kind to that person, even as I'm learning who she is, you know, like I, I, yeah. I'm still learning those pieces of myself. So that's not a super practical answer to your question, but it is the truest one. It is the truth. It is the truth. So, so tell me how your business breaks down because, you know, when you mentioned that 
you know, everything changed for you when you got on the mic and you became yourself. I'm guessing that that was a pivotal moment for your, you know, the success that you've seen with your podcast downloads and, you know, with just your level of confidence. What are all the, what are all your offerings? So like kind of, um, you know, how, how does your business support you? And then what is your greatest win from all of those? I, I know that your downloads is like a huge win, but you're also like a best-selling author, which is another huge win. And so you have a lot going on. So, so tell us like kind of all the things that you do and that you offer. And then like of that, you know, what are you most proud of? Thank you for those kind words. I, uh, yeah, so I have the, I have the podcast, I have the lazy genius podcast that has been, uh, we're about to publish our 250th episode at the time that we're recording this. So it's been, I've been doing it for a long time and I'm, I really am genuinely proud of it. That's our biggest revenue stream is, is ad revenue from the podcast. So that's the biggest one. And then that's also actually the thing that I do when we have consistently surveyed the lazy genius community, the podcast is the thing that they choose they would choose to the exclusion of all the other things. Not that they don't love and value the other things, but if they had to pick one, the percentage is always consistently the podcast. So it does help that the most uh, popular thing that I do is also the most uh, financially stable thing that we do. And, and it's the mm. biggest piece of the pie. So I don't think that's always the case. Sometimes you have to make those things uh, dovetail together a little bit more and work a little yeah. bit harder to have a business strategy that supports those slightly dissonant things. But um, so we've got the podcast. I, in terms of revenue streams, we have a digital store. I have a few digital resources that we sell. We used to do those in kind of open close cart style where we would launch them and sell them and then we close them down. But I don't love that energy. I'm not a mm. I'm not a launcher and then mm. a closer. I like a I like a launch, but I don't like a close. Mm. That's why I like to launch books because books then they're they're just there. Like I can keep talking right. about them. I want you to keep buying the book. It's fantastic. Right. Uh, but I, I don't love the closed cart. I don't like the arbitrary urgency. Now, that mm. does not mean that it is bad. I think that that model actually serves some businesses incredibly well. So I'm not saying like, that's a bad business move. I think it's an excellent business move. It is not my business move. So uh, we have we have digital products that we sell that are, you know, just like resources for your home and time and stuff. And then there is some affiliate yeah, there's some affiliate relationships. I really love to work with brands. I don't do sponsored content, but I really love to work with brands that I genuinely love and use and do collaborations where, you know, they give me some sort of split. But honestly, I would talk about those things even if there was not any sort of affiliate relationship. Yeah. So yeah. Um, that's more of an organic, an organic piece of the pie. And then the book sales. So I've had I have written one book already. Well, I've written two books, but one is in the world and one is maybe in the ocean, but will be in the world and it's fine. Um, but the Lazy Genius Way and the Lazy Genius Kitchen, you know, obviously I made money from the book advances from those, but I have earned out the advance from the first book. And so I'm going to start earning royalties on those sales, which is really exciting. So that's another revenue stream. But in summary, the podcast mm -hmm. is the biggest one. Now you asked what my biggest win is from those things. I wonder if it is, well, you know what? No, I was going to say maybe it is the podcast, but it's not. It's writing a, it's writing the books and selling the books and seeing them exist and have a long tail way past the launch. And the reason that's the biggest win for me is because I don't enjoy writing books. I don't like it. Mm, yeah. It's so deeply hard. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> I will see, you know, like surveys that ask people, you know, like if you could write a book, like, do you think you're capable of writing a book? And when I say right. that, I am not trying to be like, I'm capable and everyone else is not. But when people say they are capable of writing a book, I think a lot of people are. 
But I don't think anyone, including myself, when I signed a daggum book contract, I don't think anybody really knows how hard it is to write a good book, better yet, a great book until you're in it. And then you're like, can I quit? Can we be done? I, I can't do this. I thought I could do this and I cannot yes. do this. So I yes. think the fact that I have written two books that I am just in my core, in my marrow, so proud of that are serving people in different stages of life and different circumstances. It's kind of a, it's kind of a ridiculous endeavor to write a book for everyone. I mean, that's what everyone tells you when you write a book, you can't make everyone happy. You can't write to everyone. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe you can. <laughs> <laughs> So kind of rising to that challenge and creating two resources that are, ha have been really helpful for thousands of people is, yeah, I'm really, really proud of that. Wow. Well, I can't wait to dig into some of those things that you put in those books to help us get some tips and some ways that we can be as successful as you are, because sister, you have a lot going on. And I can <laughs> imagine you, like many of the women entrepreneurs listening, and even myself, as we're managing programs and products and talk shows and books and deals and sponsorships and social media, it can feel really overwhelming. And during a time where we all have been required to slow down and also kind of having that competing commitment of, you know, slowing down, but then needing to continue to sustain revenue, to stay afloat and all these things, you know, time management can feel very heavy and very confusing and very overwhelming. And so I'd love for you to share with us some of your tips that you have in, in your books and on your shows and in all of the content that you're creating on how we can manage our time the lazy way, the slow <laughs> way, <laughs> so we can ease back into life. <laughs> yes. Well, the first, the first place that I would start is don't do it all, do what matters. It all has to start right there. If you are focusing on things that do not matter to you as a person or to you in your business, you're taking time away from things that do matter. And we have finite time and endless places we could put it. So we have to choose immediately what matters to me in my business, what matters to me in my home, what matters to me in my soul and my body, in my relationships. What are the things that matter most? And what are the things that don't, what, what, what are the things I'm giving time to that don't actually matter that someone else told me should matter? Like the, even the closed cart, open closed cart selling thing. Everybody that I was listening to when I was opening my storefront with my digital products said, closed cart, do the closed cart, don't have evergreen products. And while again, that's like good advice for some people, I thought what matters more to me is my energy than maybe generating a few extra thousand dollars because people were like, afraid that this thing was going to be gone. My right. energy mattered more. It mattered more. And so it changed what my decision was. It changed how I spent my time and what I directed it toward. So 100%, the most important thing you can do is to name what matters and put your energy in those things and then name what truly doesn't and either redirect your energy from those things or find much simpler ways to do it. So even things like, you know, the second book is The Lazy Genius Kitchen. So obviously there is a ton of talk about food and kitchen in that. But we we as women, especially who are entrepreneurs and women, especially who are entrepreneurs and perhaps also have families and children that they're caring for, there is still this idea that you have to craft your meals from scratch, practically from the earth, that if you <laughs> buy food, if you buy that green beans that are already like trimmed and cut and washed in a right. bag, right. better yet, even like cooked in garlic and butter at the <laughs> counter at the deli then you are somehow not as successful 
yeah. as a woman, just like as a, as a human woman or yeah. however you identify, because there are these cultural expectations that we are supposed to do everything and do it really well. And we can't. Like we can't, I get so frustrated. If you can't tell, I get so frustrated when people (laughs) say things like, how do you do it all? Like no one's doing it all. Literally no one, Mm. no one is doing it all. And if they are, if they are, or they appear to be, they are hiring people to do a ton of what you don't see. Yeah. They're not cleaning their own house. They're not doing their own grocery shopping. They're not, they have people who are taking care of their kids during the day so they can work full days. Like they have Mm. help. No one does it all. No one does it all. And expecting that somehow we are the ones who are not getting the memo on how to do it all is Mm. just a terrible way to live. So I'm just here to tell everybody. You can't, you literally cannot do it all. So go ahead and name what matters most to you and do that and let the other stuff go. Let it go. I, you know, I love that you mentioned this whole idea of people are not doing it all. Some people who may think or may show that they're doing it all are often hiring folks. And I, I love that because I think there's still so much guilt that women have about doing that. And I'll, and I'll just speak for myself. Like my mother specifically will take so much pride in like being the one that scrubs her own floors. And it's like just her mental. And I'm like, mom, if I don't have to scrub another floor again in my life, like I will be (laughs) a happy human. Of course, we all have to every now and again. But you know, if I can provide work for someone where that's their livelihood, and it's like, I'm helping her, she's helping me. I'm happy. And it took me so long to drop the guilt around that. Like hiring someone to clean my house is this luxury that's like so unheard of. And it saves so much time that I can't even believe I waited so long to start doing it. You know, now that's that's not to say I never clean my floor ever, but that is to say that like we have to stop programming ourselves to feel like we have to be superwoman and we have to do every single darn thing. Sometimes we need to just operate in our gifts. And like you said, prioritize what matters the most to us so that we can continue to generate income if we're generating income or caring for the family if that's our if that's our role too. I love that. Oh, I love that. It's so you're absolutely right. Like there is so much guilt around all of those things. And really the 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 main two ways I think that we can remove that guilt is number one, dig into where it comes from individually, which I think sometimes that does, it does help to, to talk to a therapist, to even just talk to people in your own life about like, why do I think this? Why do I think yeah. that I'm somehow like not a good mother if right. fill in the blank, you know? Yeah. Um, but then the other thing is just the normalizing it in our culture, which we're doing. We're on our way to that. But there is still uh, quite a, at least in American culture, there is still quite a ways to go in in normalizing women, especially being able to let let things go. And it's they still are valuable humans and contributing and successful and all of those things. So, um, yes, mm-hmm. I love that that floor anecdote. I would also <laughs> prefer to not clean a floor again if I didn't, if I didn't have to. <laughs> um, another, I have a couple of other thoughts about the time management um, yeah. question. One is to not judge every day against your best day. I think this is something that we uh, do naturally and don't even realize it, that when we have days where we're super productive at work, where uh, if we, again, if you have children or whatever your other responsibilities are, you know, uh, the the things that you feel 
make you somehow a successful adult. You know, you drink your water, you take your vitamins, you make food, you're not stressed. It's like an easier day. I love having easier days. I love having days where it feels like I'm in a flow and things are just going really well. And I look at my family and I'm like, I really, I really love you guys. I really love being here with you. You're so cute. And like the kitchen is clean and you're reading a book and like candles are lit. Like I love those days and those days do exist. But what happens when we experience those days, especially if they don't happen very often, is we start to chase those days and we compare every day against that day. And that Mm -hmm. is so harmful because it diminishes the value of ordinary days. It diminishes the value of just being a person when we're, when we're hormonal, when we're sad, when things, when we're in a pandemic and we don't quite know how to process it. Like we can gain so much more freedom in our time and how we see it. If we stop chasing the ideal day. Mm, I love that. And I I agree with that. I think there's all this pressure sometimes, you know, to kind of keep up with the Joneses, you know, this person's planning their day like this, and this person's doing it like that. And it's like, that's not life, you know, and there is beauty in the stillness. And there is beauty in those small moments and savoring that I think, like you mentioned, is is just so much more fulfilling. I I love that tip. And, and the third thing kind of actually dovetails with what you just said about, you know, keeping up with and uh, this person's planning it this way. And, you know, there are so many, many of them that are very, very helpful. There are so many time management approaches and strategies and hacks. And there are, I could not even begin to count how many planners I have bought over the last decade to help Mm -hmm. me manage my time. You know, like there are Mm -hmm. just so many things that we can try. And what I would encourage in your time management is to focus on the practice and not on the planner or not on the tool. Because what happens is if we are missing, we'll go back to the meal planning thing again, because I I do love everybody eats and uh, everybody has to figure out what they're going to eat for dinner, no matter how you get it on the table. And so, and that's really what planning is, is just deciding a little bit ahead of time what you're going to eat for a meal. Like that's really all it is. So when I think about the challenges perhaps of, of meal planning and the things, if I, if I am starting from a place where I'm not planning anything at all, that I get home or on my way home from work, I'm like, okay, it's 4:45. What, what do I have in the fridge? Do I, do I need to stop at this place? Do I need to stop at the drive-thru? Like, what am I going to do? If that is my baseline practice, if I, I could buy every adorable notepad and dry erase board for my fridge, I could buy uh, all of these like meal prep containers that are, that I love to look at that look pretty on Instagram. I could buy so many tools, but if I don't already have a practice in place, even the tiniest bit, those tools aren't going to do anything. They're not going to do anything. So when we're thinking about our time and how we spend it, so often we think that what we need is a different tool, a different planner, a different approach, a different way to make our list. You know, we're always looking for these things to impact a practice that doesn't yet exist. So instead focus on the practice. Like I know it might not be pretty right now to just like write down what you're going to eat for dinner on a post-it note, you know, and stick it on the fridge for whoever's going to get home first or whatever it is. Like those, those aren't, those aren't sexy ways of doing things. Those aren't Instagrammable ways of doing things. And not that you can't have sexy Instagrammable meal planning. You can, and people do, and they love it because it matters to them, but that cannot create a practice. You have to have a practice first. 
Mm, beautiful. It, it is about that deeper shift within. Yeah. And just kind of starting to take action and then using the tools to support those actions. But you can't put the cart before the horse is what right. you're saying. Yes, you can't exactly. grab the tools without having the practice in place. What, what would you say to those women out there who feel like they're just you know, they, they get the whole thing about like prioritizing and figuring it out. And, and they've listened to everything that you said, but they just still feel so overwhelmed. They're like, you don't get my life though. You know, maybe they work two jobs and they have four kids and they're still trying to launch a business. Like they are the do it all woman. What would you say should be her first step in being able to even like receive this information so that she can start to slowly kind of break down your steps and put some things into action? What should she do first if she's just feeling overwhelmed? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. So in the lazy genius way, there are 13 principles that you can apply to any situation. You can apply one at a time. You can combine a couple. You can try to use all 13 for one thing. For that particular situation, two principles stand out very strong. The first is to schedule rest. When we are overwhelmed and we have so many things to fill our days, more things than we have hours for in many ways, we become increasingly tired, which leads us to often becoming increasingly resentful and frustrated mm. and overwhelmed and all those things. And and I know I get so annoyed. I get so annoyed at people who are like, just go to bed early. I'm like, no, <laughs> I, my kids don't go to bed till after nine. I have not been alone yet. I want to watch Ted Lasso. Leave me alone. You know, like right. we have these things that we want to do. And the answer of just like go to bed early is not really that. But also here's the thing, sleep. It is very important, but that's not the only way to rest. And what I want to encourage people to do is to schedule in your day something that makes you feel like yourself. Do something that helps you sit down on the inside and feel like yourself, whether it's listening to a kind of music that you love. I, I, if I walk around the block, even, I mean, if I go for a long walk, that's like amazing. But even if I just walk to around the block, I've been known to just walk to the mailbox and back just down the driveway. When I walk, it is rest. It is okay. There I am. Like, let's just get back to that. And so I would highly encourage even in tiny, tiny ways of scheduled rest where you feel like yourself every day to counteract some of that overwhelm to, uh, you know, like the, like the kettle, you know, release a little bit of, a, of the pressure of that overwhelm. And then practical, another more, even more practical thing, I hope, is the principle to essentialize, which is to get rid of what is in the way and only have what matters. So when we are doing all kinds of things, like working multiple jobs, we have all of these kids to take care of, like all of these things. I remember talking to somebody about she was in the PTA. She worked full time, multiple kids, and she was also in the PTA. She mm. was in the PTA and like cutting out paper hearts for like a, you know, like a Valentine's thing. Mm -hmm. And not that that's bad. That's wonderful. We, it's amazing that we have parents and grownups and guardians of our kids who, who do these things and participate in this way. But she was on that PTA because she thought she would be a bad mother if she wasn't. Mm. And that's not the reason to do that. That's not the reason mm. to do that. Your time you, and your energy and your own humanity are more important than having to be the one to fill in the gap for the paper hearts. Somebody can make mm. paper hearts or you can go to Target and buy a bag of already pre-cut paper hearts. You know, like those exist, those exist. Right. So just right. to 
essentialize, get rid of what is in the way of what truly matters most. And we all have those things. We have them in our homes, like tangibly. We have we have a cluttered counter with things that we actually don't really use anymore. That cabinet that frustrates us that we can't close all the way because it's got too many bowls, but we only use 10% of the bowls that are in the cabinet in the first place. We all have these things in our lives that are extra and they are noise. And the more we can eliminate that noise, tangible noise, visual noise, and then soul noise of what we're putting our time into, the more we can get rid of that and essentialize what is there, I believe and have seen the less overwhelmed we will feel. Even if we are doing a lot of things, there are absolutely things in your life that you can release. Uh, Kendra, this changed somebody's life. You just changed somebody's life. This was so helpful. And, you know, I can't wait to hear how you apply this advice to your own life in terms of if you could look back, you know, all these things that you've learned about yourself, all these things that you've learned about the people you've supported and worked with. If you could go back and just tell your 10 year younger self any piece of advice, what what would that advice be to her? 100% it would be that she needs to stop trying so hard at everything. I was such a trier. I am a recovering perfectionist. I would plan everything to, well, I say I would plan, but I wouldn't do. Like I had, you're not gonna believe this. Well, you might, because some people do this. I had a calendar, like an annual calendar on my fridge, like a dry erase calendar, January 1 to December 31. I wrote out every day for the whole year what I would do to clean my house. Like I made a year cleaning schedule. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm like, and then I remember being, so my 10 year, I'm 40. So my 10 year would be 30. When I was in my late, like mid to late twenties, this was when this was like peak planner and perfectionist. And I would, I had that cleaning schedule. I had, I would try on, I just laugh bless her heart. I would try on every possible outfit combination in my closet, write them down and then put them on calendar dates because I thought that was a good use of my time. (laughs) Oh, wow. Wow. So you're living proof. I am. You've been there and you are reformed. (laughs) I am. I reformed. I reformed. So I would just tell her to like, hey, go sit down, go take a nap, put the pen away don't buy any more notebooks, like you're okay. Because what happens, this is not true for everybody, but I would just say what is true of me. I used, and sometimes still am tempted to use, this is why I love having a therapist, but I used management of time, of things, of schedules, of systems as a way to gain as much control over my life as possible because I was deeply afraid that things would fall apart. And part of that is because they did when I was a kid, a lot of things did fall apart. And so it makes sense. Like there, there is a, there's another principle in the book. It's be kind to yourself. There are some that are super duper practical. And then there are ones that are like, Hey, we just need to give you a little pep talk and tell you you're doing okay. And one of those is to be kind to yourself. And I was not kind to myself Uh, then I was like get it together get it together because if you don't keep it together then everything falls apart everything is on your shoulders so you better have all of your life planned out uh, correctly if this is gonna fly now I am kind to her I don't ignore her I don't laugh at her I tell her all the time hey you were trying so hard and I know that you meant well but we're okay now like we don't need We don't need to organize everything in our lives to feel valuable and and safe. We're safe now. We don't need lists to feel safe. We are who we are. We're going to be okay. So that's what I would tell her. I would tell her, we're going to be okay. You are okay. You are, you are good. You are, you are valuable. You can love systems and lists. Like I'm really good at them. 
I am. Like I'm good at making systems. I'm good at helping people create practical ways to do things. But also if I stopped doing that, I wouldn't be any less myself. I'm still me. So I just want her to know that she's still her without literally trying on every single combination of clothing in her closet. What a terrible, terrible <laughs> use of time. <laughs> You are okay. You are okay. I love that. How can our audience find and support you, Kendra? I'm sure they fell in love with you on this episode. Where can they go to find and support you? That's very kind. So any if you search Lazy Genius, it's all the things. Everything that I do is called the Lazy Genius something because I am very good at names. So it's the Lazy Genius podcast. The book is The Lazy Genius Way. The new book is The Lazy Genius Kitchen. I am on Instagram at The Lazy Genius. And then you can find links to all the things at thelazygeniuscollective.com. Kendra, thanks so much for coming on the show. And I can't wait to have you back. Oh, thank you for having me. This is great. You are listening to Lifestyle and Success with Dr. S, a talk show to help you rise in business success while designing a life that you don't need a vacation from. To subscribe to the show and never miss a beat, head to lifestyleandsuccesswithdrs.com.